are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. We get a victory Monday. We haven't had too many of these this year. This is just the sixth time we've gotten to celebrate a win coming off of a Sunday game. Just hasn't happened very often this year. Been a difficult season, but easily the most complete game that the Seahawks have played. A 51-29 drubbing of the Lions. As always, Rob and I are going to be breaking down everything we saw from yesterday's blowout win in the home finale at Lumen Field. And we'll be tackling your mailbag questions. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. Seahawks took out a bit of their frustrations from a disappointing season yesterday, beating the Lions 51-29. to First time they put up over 50 points in a game since 2012, which was Russell Wilson's rookie season. Unfortunately, the victory did come at a bit of a cost. And I will put out this disclaimer before we break down these injuries. It could have been much worse. That's what we got out of Pete Carroll's comments today. Bobby Wagner being the most notable first play of the game on defense, trying to defend a screen to Jamal Williams. And he did the splits. It looked ugly from the press box. I thought for sure that he popped a groin and that his season was over with. Injured his knee instead. It's a knee sprain, but Pete Carroll said he won't need surgery and did not rule out the possibility he could play this weekend. I will say this, though, Rob. You don't have playoffs to play for. One game left in the season. I don't think there's any reason for the player or the team to put him out there on Sunday against the Cardinals. Yeah, I would be surprised if Bobby Wagner did play this upcoming game against the Arizona Cardinals. Um, But it is obviously great news that uh, it does not appear to be a a serious injury. Pete Carroll talked about in his Monday press conference, of course, just kind of saying that it was a it was a knee sprain um, and that that Bobby Wagner actually attempted to get back onto the field. But uh, considering how well that that Cody Barton played Corbin, I I thought that uh, the Seahawks were were right to allow Bobby Wagner kind of a a day off at the office, uh, so to speak, and 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 see what you have with Cody Barton. his first uh, extensive action at the middle linebacker position. Again, I thought that he played pretty well. Um, There was also several other injuries out there um, that I thought were kind of interesting from, from this game as well. Um, You know, and and so to me, this was an interesting game in that regard, because there was a lot of younger players who had their opportunity and, and several of them shine to me. One of the most significant ones was Phil Haynes, uh, you know, kind of plugging in there um, for Damian Lewis, left guard position. I thought that he had one of the the better performances, one of the real standouts of the game, in my opinion. So to me, that was one of the real takeaways from this game is not just the fact that Seattle scored as many points as they did, but who helped them score those points and who helped them defend against a Detroit Lions team? They haven't played really good football recently, but the Seahawks were vastly superior on Sunday. Yeah, they were the better team from start to finish. The Lions did make it interesting a few times in the second half, in large part because there were some defensive gaffes. And the Seahawks were missing key players at all three levels of the defense. They were coming in with John Reed as one of the starting corners. No Sidney Jones, no Bless Austin. They just got DJ Reed back. Obviously, no Jamal Adams. 
A couple other guys in the secondary are banged up. Reed gets a concussion in the game, so he may not be available for the season finale against the Cardinals. they got to put in Michael Jackson, who had not played in a game all season for the Seahawks and had just been elevated from the practice squad. And then up front, I, I think the other notable injury on defense that happened in this game, Carlos Dunlap, the Seahawks did not get any sacks in this game, and a big part of that, Dunlap got injured in the first half, tweaked his ankle, did not play any more snaps the rest of the game. Carroll made it sound like he had a decent chance to be able to play on Sunday. But again, this is a game that doesn't count in the standings. You don't necessarily want to force a player out there if he's not close to 100%. So I would say that's probably a 50-50 proposition at this point. But let's go back to Wagner real quick because we're going to have a lot of time to talk about this as the offseason gets here. We don't know what the future holds for Bobby Wagner. He even mentioned that last week and point blank said, yeah, I've put in some thought about possibly not being back next year. He understands that the NFL is a business. He understands he's going to be 32 next summer and that he's going to be entering his 11th season. Really the biggest issue the Seahawks have to deal with, and this is why if he doesn't play next weekend, there's going to be plenty of speculation about, did we just see him play his last game in a Seahawks uniform and he only got to play one play before getting hurt? His cap hit is north of $20 million next year, Rob. So that's extremely expensive. Obviously a future Hall of Famer. He has earned that money, but this is a position that maybe in today's NFL isn't quite as valuable as it used to be. And we're talking about a declining player as good as he as good as he still is. He is a declining talent that's getting into the twilight of his career. It's going to be really hard for the Seahawks, especially coming after a difficult season where they're going to lose 10 or 11 games for them to justify paying an aging linebacker, that kind of money. So it really is, I think, compared to Russell Wilson even, this might be the biggest decision the Seahawks have to make with a star player because it really is up in the air whether he's going to play or not. And so it's unfortunate if it does end up being his last game that this is what everybody's going to remember is he played one play and got hurt. Yeah, if that is the end of, of Bobby Wagner's uh, you know career in Seattle, then that would certainly be a very unfortunate way for it to end. But I I, I would disagree with you, and I think that a lot of people are going to remember number fifty four. If again, if this is the end, then I think that they would remember him as the the future Hall of Famer that he is. The the picture of reliability in the middle of that defense, not the fact that uh, that he did the splits and, and got himself injured. In a, in a pretty meaningless game um, towards the end of a meaningless season for, for Seattle. Um, and so to me, again, as you mentioned, um, you know, there, there's a, there's a whole off season to kind of have that conversation. Um, I, I just, I, I think that Bobby Wagner has been, you know, the epitome of class on and off the field for the Seahawks for an awful long time. He is due such an exorbitant amount of money and, and his play has leveled off, which, you know, it, it's, it's, damn near impossible to, to keep up the level of play in which he has sustained uh, throughout his entire career. Oh, by the way, as he leads the NFL and tackles again, um, you know, I mean, he has been absolutely spectacular for the Seahawks, but again, I think from a, a purely a, a team building perspective, then you have to be encouraged by what you saw from Cody Barton. And I thought there was a, another couple of injuries that were, or were also, uh, you know, big as far as what the Seahawks are going to do this upcoming week against the Arizona Cardinals to finish out this season. Um, Pete Carroll, we know how optimistic he typically is, but he did not sound very optimistic uh, that, that Will Disley, for example, might be able to make it back for this upcoming game. And with Will Disley on the field, I think that it was very obvious what an impact that he can make in the running game. 
and, and how he was able to, to make some blocks at the point of attack as well as downfield to help Springer shot Penny, among others, um, in Seattle's running game. So to me, that is another injury that is significant. You mentioned John Reed and Mike Jackson uh, being pushed up to the forefront, how to have a pretty impressive performance there. So to me, that is one of the encouraging things about this is Seattle's depth got tested a little bit against the Detroit Lions. And while that has not necessarily been a strength for much of the year, it certainly was Sunday. Yeah, we'll have a chance to break that down more as we get deeper into the show, because I do think that is one of the biggest takeaways in terms of positives from yesterday. Yes, you were playing another team that's had a ton of injuries and COVID infections. The Lions were very shorthanded on both sides of the football. Didn't have their starting quarterback either. So both teams entered this game dealing with the attrition of an NFL season and and much more than a typical season with the pandemic still going on. So both sides had their issues, but the Seahawks depth did prove to be far better than what the Lions had in this football game. We're going to get to our Monday mailbag here in a moment. It's the New Year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. It makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good, you'll want to eat it. You'll want to eat healthy, but it just gets so boring this time of year. By week three, you might be thinking, this is just not worth it. Where's the chocolate? Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. Here's an idea for the new year. Go to all your secret treat stashes at home, in the pantry, at the office, in the car, wherever you keep your treats. Throw out all the sugary and calorie-filled treats and replace them with Built Bars. So when you're craving a snack or treat, you can reach for something that's healthy and tastes incredible. Even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is good for you. That way, when you enjoy a delicious Built Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 on your next order. That's locked on for 15% off at built.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Monday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Let's get to our Monday mailbag. Tons of questions from the 12s. Always some interesting ones coming off of victories, particularly we're getting towards the end of the season where the Seahawks are not going to be making the playoffs. There's a lot of questions about the future of this franchise. First question here coming from Pratik Khanna tweets, Given how well Phil Haynes and Jay Curhan played, I'm surprised they didn't get more opportunities early in the season. Do you think they could be starters next year, given that the Seahawks have three offensive line free agents? That's a really good point uh, with uh, three offensive line free agents. Actually, Seattle has a couple of more than that. They have three offensive line starters as free agents in uh, in Brandon Shell and Ethan Posick, uh, and then in um, – and Dwayne Brown, of course. And so I, I do think that there is a possibility that uh, that you are going to see Jake Curhan continue to be Seattle's right, right tackle starter um, moving forward. I, I think that that is the most likely scenario, at least right now, again, with uh, with, with Brandon Shell as a, as a pending free agent. I'm not so sure about Phil Haynes, although let me be clear, I thought the Phil Haynes had a spectacular uh, starting debut for the, for the Seahawks uh, really played very, very well. We, we, we 
kind of talking about this a little bit more, Corbin, I'm sure, in our third segment here. But, um, you know, some of the biggest plays that Rashad Penny made right up the middle, a couple of touchdowns, um, were blocks supplied by by Big Phil Haynes. And so he was a player I was really excited about coming out of Wake Forest a couple of years ago. And, and I am uh, surprised that he has not seen more playing time. But considering that you have Damian Lewis expected to come back and be your starting left guard, uh, Gabe Jackson remains on the, on the team and, and signed for the future. I don't know that Phil Haynes comes back as a starter, but I've been a big I, a big proponent of the idea of moving Damian Lewis to that center position. And so perhaps Phil Haynes might be able to be that guard. Either way, I do think that the Seahawks should be very encouraged by the play of their two young offensive linemen. Yeah, you stole a little bit of my thunder there, but this is something I talked about like 50 times in training camp. Try to find a way to get Phil Haynes, Damian Lewis, and Gabe Jackson all on the field together. Whether that means Phil Haynes goes to center, Damian Lewis goes to center. We got the crash course start against the Cardinals a year ago. Hasn't played any snaps there this year. He's had injuries. Now he's on the COVID list. But I still think that that might be the best long-term thing for the Seahawks to do with their offensive line. That being said, Ethan Posick has played really well the last two or three games, and Pete Carroll said it today. He's played the best football of his career the past month, and that's been a big reason the run game's really gotten going. So maybe Ethan Posick is playing into another contract with the Seahawks. We'll see how that pans out. But I still am a proponent of the idea of getting Phil Haynes, Damian Lewis, and Gabe Jackson together on the field as your three starters in some capacity. That has not happened yet. Seahawks have not been able to do it. So wouldn't hold my breath that they're going to do that going into next year. But Jake Curhan certainly, to me, looks like the favorite to start right tackle in 2022. Calvin Mills tweets, does this late season resurgence by Rashad Penny impact the decision re-signing Alex Collins? You know, I think that Alex Collins did a great job for Seattle this year. At the same time, uh, he does not have the big playability that Rashad Penny has. Um, and, and so I don't know that Rashad Penny's play necessarily uh, limits Seattle's ability to bring back Alex Collins. I just think that it makes Rashad Penny's re-signing that much more of a critical decision, that much more of a priority from Seattle's perspective. And so I don't know, again, that it that it, it, it destroys any chance that Seattle brings back Alex Collins because, again, I thought that his durability, his quickness, his elusiveness, um, you know, just his dependability for much of the season, I think speaks for itself and is all the more reason why Seattle should consider bringing him back. But at the same time, I think it's very, very clear that Rashad Penny's higher upside uh, justifies Seattle making him the top priority at the running back position. Yeah, I don't think Penny's play the last month is going to have any bearing on whether or not Alex Collins comes back. Alex Collins was not going to be the starter in 2022. They're hoping Chris Carson can come back from neck surgery and still be that guy. If not, you hope he can re-sign Rashad Penny. They've liked what they've seen from DJ Dallas in limited touches. Travis Homer's had some nice moments this year. So I don't think that that's going to prevent them from signing Collins to another deal. I mean, he showed toughness this year battling through growing in abdomen injuries and a number of different things. So I think the Seahawks will reward him at some point with another one-year deal. I'd actually be surprised if he's not back, but that's no guarantee he's going to be on the team next year. Got to see what happens with Chris Carson. It gives them some insurance, but I don't think his future hinders at all on what has happened in the past month with Rashad Penny. It just made Penny, as you mentioned, a much bigger priority for the Seahawks to re-sign. 
Tyler Harris, which Seahawks coaches do you think will be getting calls for other opportunities? I found this question to be interesting because when you're a five or six win team, normally the only time your coaches are getting called for a new job is after they've been getting fired. So this is just a different scenario than we're used to talking about with the Seahawks at this time of year. It certainly is. And, you know, what a, what a statement, what, what, a, what a Seattle Seahawk, uh, you know, kind of fan uh, comment here, you know, that uh, when, when the team is losing, then I'll just fire everybody. When, when the team puts 50 points up on the board, then suddenly you were worried about other NFL teams poaching your coaches. Um, you know, I, I think that one guy who absolutely deserves, uh, you know, some love is a special teams coach, Larry Izzo. Um, you know, when he got thrust into the, into the, the head coaching position uh, for special teams a year ago, um, you know, there was a lot of talk about it. Is this going to be too much for him? And instead, Seattle special teams has been spectacular over the last couple of years. Um, you know, say what you will about Jason Myers and his inconsistency in terms of being a field goal kicker. Uh, the depth of his kickoffs, obviously, what, what you've seen from the punter and the return game, uh, Travis Homer's development. There's, you know, the, the multiple Pro Bowls that we've seen from Nick Bellore. Um, You know, to me, there is a lot of reason to, to think that, that, that Larry Izzo might be a guy that would get some interest from some other clubs out there. Uh, I just hope that, uh, that that Seattle is able to retain Larry Izzo because I think that he is one of the better young special teams coaches in all the NFL. Yeah, Izzo's an interesting pick for that one because we've seen special teams move up the ladder. Some special teams coaches over the years that end up becoming head coaches. I don't know that Larry Izzo is on that fast track right now, but I'll throw one other name out there. Andre Curtis, he's had kind of a tough year in the sense that he missed a game due to an illness. He's had COVID at some point. So from that standpoint, it's been kind of a tough year, but the job he's done coaching the corners up with all the injuries, the COVID infections, you name it. I mean, they had six different starting combinations at corner, and yet this group, for the most part, has continued to play well week in, week out, and this is a passing league now. I could see a guy like Andre Curtis being somebody that gets some looks maybe as a defensive coordinator somewhere just because of that emphasis on stopping opposing passing games, and he's shown he can coach up corners and safeties it's been a pretty impressive season for him given the circumstances. So maybe that's one name to throw out there. But again, this is a six win team right now. I don't see their coaches being in super high demand coming off a disappointing season. JB tweets with how well Cody Barton performed at middle linebacker is a Bobby Wagner trade looking more realistic. I don't know about you, Rob, but I just think basing off of one game where Barton played most of the snaps, I just, I think that that's rushing to judgment thinking that that's the reason you can move on from Bobby Wagner. Well, I would agree with you in the sense that uh, I think that just what Cody Barton showed against the Detroit Lions this past week would absolutely be rushing to judgment. But of course, this is his third year um, and Cody Barton, I think, has played pretty well. Um, over his first couple of, of seasons in Seattle, especially considering how much they've moved him around, asking him to play several different linebacker roles. Pete Carroll talked about that today during his Monday press conference of how the, the Seahawks do trust his ability to call a game from that middle linebacker spot. That has been one of his strengths, as is his ability in coverage. We've seen some of the splashy plays he's made in preseason when he was asked to kind of rush up the at the field at the quarterback um, as well. So to me, I think Cody Barton's a good football player. 
player. I don't know that he is. In fact, I, I'm fairly confident that he is not nearly the the impactful Pro Bowl caliber player that Bobby Wagner has been. However, as we talked about in the first segment, Corbin, you know, Bobby Wagner being due as much money as he is, Cody Barton being due so much so much less money, um, and the fact that Seattle already invested a draft pick in him, um, then yeah, I think that there is a possibility that Seattle will explore some trades for Wagner or maybe even release him outright if if necessary for just be for salary cap reasons and again the reason why is because i think the seahawks do feel pretty confident that they've got a quality football player in cody barton yeah i think that you've seen enough splashes from him to maybe think at the middle linebacker spot where he's clearly most comfortable he really struggled at the same linebacker spot that just wasn't a good fit for his skill set middle linebacker playing that mike spot he just looks a lot more comfortable he makes more plays you can you can just tell it's like dj reed right corner compared to left corner he just has a preference that's the way that Cody Barton plays the game. I just don't know that he is a starter. I think he's a very good backup that can come in, step in, and give you some really solid snaps as a spot starter. I just don't know that he is a guy that can start consistently for you and be an impact football player. Very good special teams guy. And really the only way you would find out is if he actually got that opportunity, which to this point he hasn't because of how durable Bobby Wagner is. And that's a real roll of the dice being like, you know, we're going to move on from this six-time All-Pro just to play a guy that we don't know if he's a starter, he's capable of it. But teams make decisions like that, so I would not completely rule it out. Last question here, coming from Nathaniel, have you ever seen a team drop defensive linemen into coverage as much as the Seahawks have this season? I thought that was a great question. I just I don't have any teams at the top of my head that I'm like, you know what? That's a team that I watched six years ago that really dropped defensive linemen constantly. I mean, I know Rex Ryan did it a lot with the zone blitzing that they did uh, with the Ravens and the Jets, Buffalo Bills. But I can't specifically say, you know, there's these two or three teams from the last decade that have dropped a lot of guys back. But it does feel like the Seahawks have done that a lot this season. Yeah, it absolutely does. Um, you know, and again, like, like you, Corbin, I mean, I, I kind of struggled to think of, uh, you know, specific teams. Rex Ryan, I think, was a great pull um, because he absolutely did that with a lot of zone blitzing, uh, very creative um, in that regard. Uh, Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator of the Baltimore Ravens, does some of that as well. Yep. Um, but at the same time, I, yeah, I think that it is kind of interesting how, how Seattle has uh, chosen to use the defensive lineman at times. And But at the same time, I also think that it was predictable um you know you, you look at some of the other divisions in, in football and i don't know that there is a division that has better quarterback play than the nfc west and if you are unable to get to the quarterback then obviously it makes some sense to be able to drop that many more people into coverage now that has not turned into the big plays in terms of interceptions and things of that nature that i think that the seahawks were anticipating um and instead they, they've all they've, they've given up some plays in the running game um and again quarterbacks have had basically an eternity at times to be able to, uh, to, you know, to exploit that secondary. But at the same time, I think that was the rationale why Seattle's attempted to do it. They just weren't as successful in doing it as I think that they anticipated. And I think a lot of that comes back to the fact that you lost Jamal Adams, arguably their best pass rusher from a year ago, certainly their most successful pass rusher of a year ago. You lose him halfway through the season, and then all those plans kind of go out the window. Yeah, I will just say this. It has not been successful at all. Dropping down, you know, Carl's Dunlap, I never understood that. He should be rushing the passer. We've seen what he's done the last month doing that more often. Al Woods, 
Love Al Woods. Don't love Al Woods dropping back into his own. And yet we've seen that quite a bit. Puna Ford, those big dudes, that is not their game. I understand once in a blue moon doing that, but it just seems like the Seahawks have done it way too much. I can understand why fans have been frustrated about that. Anyway, moving on. Let's get away from the negatives of dropping 360-pound defensive tackles into coverage. And let's get to yesterday's victory, the Seahawks beating the Lions 51-29. to Before we dive into the takeaways, hey, Seahawks fans, this is Corbin Smith with an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about. It's called Get Upside. My listeners are making up to $0.25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get a bonus $0.25 cents per gallon on your first fill-up. That's up to $0.50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price to the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get up to $0.50 cents per gallon cash, cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two dollars to $300 a month in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get up to $0.50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. That's code TOUCHDOWN for $0.50 cents per gallon cash back on GetUpside. The Seahawks improving to 6-10 and 10 yesterday, Rob, and it was an exciting game for Seahawks fans during a frustrating season because – they were able to take out some of those frustrations. They had not scored 50 points in the game since 2012, and yet they put up 51 yesterday in a game that honestly it felt like they could have scored 80 if they would have taken advantage of all their opportunities, particularly late in the game, settled for some field goals. They also took a knee at the one-yard line that really upset a lot of fans, but it was really good sportsmanship by Pete Carroll not running up the score on Dan Campbell's team. Nonetheless, they could have scored a lot more than they did, but they put up 51 points in a pretty dominant effort. One of the best games we've seen from Russell Wilson definitely this season. DK Metcalf and, of course, Rashad Penny continuing his resurgence here in the second half. Yeah, I think that's where you got to start off. It's just with Rashad Penny continuing to be the dominant force that that he is. Um, you know, absolutely spectacular. I mean, the Seahawks ran for 265 yards Sunday. Yeah against Detroit Lions. I mean, 265 yards. I mean, that, that's obviously spectacular. That's more yards on the ground than Russell Wilson threw via the air in 232 yards, which is a, a very efficient performance. And, you know, I, I think that it's funny that you, you mentioned the fact that the, the Seahawks chose to kneel down at the one-yard line. Maybe if Russell Wilson had a little bit more Joe Burrow in his blood, uh, then maybe then he would have chosen to, to go for another touchdown at, at that point. But, you know, kudos to the Seahawks. Obviously, the point was made. The Seahawks won the game going away um, and I just think that you have to give a lot of credit to Seattle's offense just in general but specifically that offensive line I kind of talked about that in the first segment there um, really excited about the play from Jake Curran um, but also from Phil Haynes again I was really high on his selection a few years back and have been disappointed that we have not seen more from him but was very very encouraged by some of the blocks that he made go back and watch that very first Rashad Penny touchdown and the 
the fact that Phil Haynes comes off the ball, makes a play on the defensive lineman, and then creeps up and hits the linebacker as well. It just paves the way for Rashad Penny to make one of his several impressive runs against the Lions. Yeah, the Lions are not a very good football team, but at the same time, they have been playing very hard for Dan Campbell, and they tried to play pretty hard against the Seahawks, um, and, and obviously we're, we're basically shut down um, on that perspective of the football. Only getting the one sack, again, giving up 265 yards um, on the ground. The Seahawks' offensive line dominated Detroit, and you can't say that very often for the Seahawks so far in 2021. I like how Dwayne Brown put it after the game. It is a blend of great blocking and outstanding running by Rashad Penny. That first run that you mentioned, that first touchdown, yes, Phil Haynes made a really nice reach block and then was able to get up to the second level. That helps spring Rashad Penny. But we're talking a 230-pound back that put two Lions defenders on skis once he got to the second level and just made a miss. I don't think they got a finger on him. And you just don't see backs that size doing that. So you're you're seeing the complete package. Pro Football Focus had him down from nine missed tackles for us yesterday. That seems like it might have been on the low end of the spectrum because he was just breaking arm tackles, making guys miss with jukes left and right, very decisive, getting downhill, something we didn't see from him most of his first three and a half years. Just He looks like the back we thought he was going to be coming out of San Diego State. And it's funny what confidence will do for a player. So kudos to the O-line. Kudos to Rashad Penny. The big thing for me, and we're looking at the good in this football game on defense, I've been so impressed with what I've seen from Seattle's corners, the adversity they've had to deal with. We've seen six different starting combinations, including yesterday John Reed flipping over to the left side, replacing Bless Austin and Sidney Jones, who are both on the COVID-19 reserve list. Just got DJ Reed back on the right side. He missed the previous two games. John Reed started for him one game. Bless Austin started the other. Trey Brown's done for the season with a patellar tendon injury. This team just has had so much turnover. When you consider the beginning of the season, there were so many concerns with Trey Flowers starting, kind of won his starting job by default. Last three games, DJ Reed was struggling on the left side. They flipped him over to the right side. He plays so much better instantly. A couple of rough games for Sidney Jones, then he's playing really well. Trey Brown's playing well. Again, Andre Curtis has done a great job. Pete Carroll deserves some credit. And like he said yesterday, John Schneider, all the fire that he's been under, did a really good job adding some of these corners late in training camp and in the preseason, and they weren't quite ready to make an impact early in the year, but they've suddenly got some really good depth. And you look at yesterday, Michael Jackson coming off the practice squad comes in. What a thrilling debut for him with the Seahawks. Two pass breakups on two targets from the quarterback, Tim Boyle. So he was denying everybody. Everything was thrown at him. So this is just a really impressive performance by the corners in general in this game. They gave it 29 points, but it was not the corner's fault. And that really has turned out to be a clear strength for this football team. Who would have thought that would have been the case back in week four when they were benching Trey Flowers and that was such a huge weakness for this team at that time? Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. Uh, you know, and, and, I, and I do tip my cap to John Schneider because I think that that was clearly the biggest area of concern for the Seahawks was the cornerback. And he did make a number of moves that a lot of people kind of scoffed at um, you know, over the course of the season. But, you know, think about where this team would be. And you know, obviously, you know, 
throw out whatever jokes you want. They're obviously out of the playoffs. But the way that Sidney Jones played, the way that Bless Austin's played, the way that John Reed and now Mike Jackson have all played uh, for the Seahawks at the cornerback spot, the fact that he stole DJ Reed from the San Francisco 49ers a year ago. I mean, the, the Seahawks deserve some credit for their ability to, to turn the page at the cornerback position. So I, I do 100% agree with you. That has been one of the, the real positives of the season and certainly against the Detroit Lions team getting three interceptions in that game. And that would be one of the ways that I would transition here to some of the ugly. I, I was really disappointed that Seattle was not able to mount more of a pass rush on Tim Boyle. And just considering the fact that, uh, that Detroit ha has struggled as much as they have in pass protection. Um, that they weren't able to run the football as much as I thought that they might be able to do. I really thought that Seattle might be able to tee off um, against that Detroit Lions offensive line. And the fact that they were unable to do so, the Seahawks did not record a single sack in 37 attempts from Boyle. And yet they still did get the three interceptions because of that, that refurbished secondary. That again, that's definitely an ugly uh, or, or, or a bad component of, of this game for the Seahawks in terms of their lack of a pass rush. But at the same time, I think it very much goes back to what you were saying a moment ago, Corbin, um, with how well that the cornerback specifically have played for Seattle down the stretch. Yeah, the three interceptions, two for DJ Reed. Ugo Amadi got one. I'm still laughing that he didn't score a touchdown there, though. Botched it. It wasn't a forced fumble. He just coughed it up after he was trying to return the pick. But nonetheless, they were able to get to three interceptions. The secondary made big plays. The only thing on defense, you can give up 29 points to a team that's got a backup quarterback in Tim Boyle. That's something the Seahawks couldn't have been too happy with. They were missing some really good players at all three levels, just like the Lions were missing players all over the place. But Amonra St. Brown, what an outing that the rookie had. The Seahawks, they had to know going in, this is the only real weapon they've got. Josh Reynolds was out with COVID, so who else are they going to throw the ball to? It did not matter. St. Brown killed them, had big day over 100 receiving yards, had a 26-yard touchdown run on a draw play, and that was on third and 10, cut the lead down to 17-70. Plays like that, just you were thinking Debo Samuel was out there. Why is he not wearing a 49ers uniform? And – also wondering, what was USC doing with this guy in college? Because you never saw anything like that at the college level from this kid. But, man, he was impressive. The Seahawks didn't have any answers for him most of the game. I will say late in the fourth quarter, in the fourth quarter, late third quarter, they did seem to figure things out a little bit with him and were able to silence him some. But he had a huge game. So props to the player. A little bit disappointing the defense wasn't able to get stops and able to hold the Lions down. I mean, they made it a 16-point game two different times in the second half. So, again – Dan Campbell's squad just continues to fight, continues to be scrappy. They just didn't have enough talent. They fell too far behind. They were down 38-7 at one point in this game. Too much for them to overcome. Let's get to the ugly real quick. When you win 51-29, there's very few things that are ugly. But going back to the 29 points on defense, I thought that tackling was really shaky for the Seahawks in this game. That touchdown on the draw play, Daryl Taylor missed a tackle. Quandre Diggs missed a tackle. There were a number of other plays in this game where they had chances to stop the Lions and gave up big yardage after the catch or big yardage on runs because they did not finish tackles. And we saw it on special teams too, a 47-yard kick return that if not ironically for a really good tackle by Jason Myers, Turner's probably making a house call to the end zone. The special teams has not been near as good the last few weeks, in part because they've had a number of injuries. That attrition's played a role. They just they're rotating a lot of guys in there now that haven't played many special team snaps, and it's showing on the field. But 
the tackling was pretty shoddy in this game. And I feel like the last few games we had seen signs of that. It's been a bit of a struggle for them the last three or four games. But this one especially, that is an area in the season finale against the Cardinals. You better be able to tackle or the Cardinals will put up 60 on you. You need to be able to get guys to the ground. And that was the one real ugly thing from this game. I thought an offense that they were firing on all cylinders for the most part. Defense, can't say that missed tackles were certainly something that was worrisome. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. Uh, you know, you asked me the ugliest element of this game from the Seattle perspective. And, and I think that, yeah, the missed tackles were, were disappointing. Um, you know, Mike Jackson, we were, I was kind of, you know, we were celebrating him earlier. Um, there, there were some missed tackles on, on special teams and he got kind of got himself out of his lane. But again, and you're talking about practice squad guy who was thrust into a real playing time on the defensive side of the ball. That's to kind of be ex uh, expected a little bit. Uh, you know, John Reed is, is not the biggest of corners. And so, and that has been one of the kind of knocks on him going uh, in, in the past. Uh, you know, so to me, again, th those are some things that a little bit uh, ex to be expected. Uh, I was not expecting to see Quandre Diggs miss some of the tackles that, that he did. And so that was a little bit disappointing. Um, but to me, the the, mo the ugliest, if I was going to use that word, describe anything from Seattle's uh, you know pretty dominant victory over the Detroit Lions, and so that's why I kind of say ugly in quotation marks, is where the heck was this all season long? You know, I mean, it just looked like Seattle was much more creative with their play calling. I mean, the nice little uh, using Tyler Lockett to get the little, you know, kind of jet sweep up, jet sweep action for the touchdown. Um, some of the other creative plays that they use, the, the aggression from Russell Wilson, throwing the ball up and allowing DK Metcalf to just go up and, and make a play when he was clearly covered on that that stop fade in the end zone. Uh, but still, Russell Wilson just kind of threw it, you know, let let it was a little bit more reckless, I think, with the football, and that allowed uh, DK Metcalf to be the beast kind of a player that he can be because he is just so much more physically gifted than most of the other players on the football field. So I just wish that we had seen some of this type of aggression uh, from Seattle earlier in the season rather than kind of holding it and then just bullying up on, on the weak kid on the parking lot, so to speak, uh, just because I really thought that this is a team that has more talent than the record suggests. Yeah, I think the one thing we're missing out here is where has this been? Well, they haven't played the Lions up to this point. Yeah. That certainly helps. But you got to believe when you're looking at the fact they get 71 plays. They haven't been able to do that most of the year. They've had time of possession issues. It's a lot easier. Pete Carroll talked about this after the game. You can open up your playbook more when you actually run plays. And so it's really ironic that that would be the case. But they were effective on third downs. They were able to get a lot more plays yesterday than they've had and. Your end result, they were able to put up a 50-burger on the Lions, a really exciting way to end a disappointing season, at least send the fans at Lumen Field home with a big victory to close out the season. They'll get one more shot to get one more win and get some momentum going into the offseason and preparing for 2022. As always, we greatly appreciate you taking the time to listen to Locked on Seahawks as your first listen. Now make your second listen Locked on Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked on Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. You can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the all-new Odyssey app. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. When we return tomorrow, it's on to week 18. Still weird saying that after week 17 was the end of the season for so many years, but one more game left for the Seahawks. We're going to take a look at where the Cardinals stand, heading into what's going to be a pretty big game for them, playing in Glendale 
And of course, tell the truth Tuesday. We're going to dive in a bit deeper into Sunday's win over the Lions before we fully move on to our final game of the season. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.